Let me tell you a story, podcast number 62. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago, never mind it is a how truth long You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. Our guest author today is Ray Ellis. Steve will be reading from book one in Ray's Nate Richards mystery series. But first, a little catch-up. For those who follow my Wins books, I recently finished a fourth one. This one is a prequel novella that introduces Kate as she's being released from prison. If we have time in this podcast, I'll read you a page or two from Winds of Hope. Although Winds of Hope is finished, it's currently in the hands of beta readers, and the cover is currently in the hands of the designer. But it's coming along, and we'll have a cover reveal celebration one of these days soon. I promise. Well, maybe I should say, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, because our piles of snow are finely melting and rain is forecast for the next several days. We're all praying the Boise River stays within its banks. In the meantime, here's Steve, reading a chapter or two of Ray Ellis's Notorious. The body of the teenage boy lay face down in the gutter, his bandana, his colors, still clenched in his fist, floated in the water beside him. Blood mixed with rain raced in a gurgling stream down the drain, splashing noisily as it made its way to the river. What had it gained him? What had he proved? These were a few of the questions that flashed through Detective Nate Richards' mind as he studied the crime scene. Summer rain washed over Richards' lean frame, soaking his loose brown curls to the scalp. Flexing a muscle in his jaw, he lifted a hand to wipe water from his face. The street light reflected off his cocoa-colored skin, twinkling in the early morning darkness. Who's calling the scene? Nate asked a group of four uniformed officers standing near a row of patrol cars, their overhead lights casting a rainbow effect on the wet pavement. Three of the four uniformed men walked toward Nate. He looked between the men and finding the corporal stripes, directed his comments to them. "'What he got, Benson?' he asked, reading the name tag that went along with him. "'Another one down. One less to worry about shooting me in the back,' Corporal Chad Benson muttered under his breath while using his hand to squeegee rainwater from his short blonde hair. He chuckled to himself as he walked past the body headed for his patrol unit. He glanced at Nate as he passed." Does the phrase crime scene integrity mean anything to you, Benson? Nate said. What's your problem? Benson said in a harsh whisper. It's not like it means anything. They breed like rats down here. Who cares if they kill each other off? We'll have two more by week's end. Mark my word. And it won't even make a difference. The two uniformed officers with Benson smiled at the team commander's remarks. One of the men stared at Nate, holding his gaze for an extra heartbeat longer than necessary before turning away. Nate made a mental note to remember the men's names. Stow it, now! 
Nate cut his gaze to a woman sitting on the curb, rocking and hugging herself. The dead teen's mother. Grabbing Benson by the shoulder, Nate pulled him off to the side. You can't see? Benson snatched his arm from Nate. What? You okay, Benz? One of the other officers called and stepped toward Nate. Johnson, right? Nate asked, making sure he had the man's name correct. Is this the way you run a crime scene? Nate had directed the question to Benson. Looking down the desolate street, Nate pointed to the nearest intersection. Block that off and get some cones out on the street to keep paramedics and everyone else from driving through my crime scene. Johnson looked at Nate but didn't move. You got a problem with that patrolman? Nate asked. Go ahead, Benson said, stepping between the two men. Look, detective, we do just fine. You take care of your stuff and I'll take care of mine. Without responding, Nate turned away from the officer and approached the woman, hoping she hadn't overheard Benson's comments or noticed the patrolman's cavalier attitudes. Shielding his notepad from the rain with his arm, he checked the comments he'd recorded there. He cleared his throat. Mrs. Fuentes, I'm Detective Nate Richards from Treasure Valley Metro Police Department. I need to ask you a few questions. The woman raised her dark eyes like dead pools, lifeless and cold, to meet Nate's expectant gaze. What does it matter? We breathe like rats anyway, right? She pulled her jacket collar tight around her neck and turned away from him. So much for her not having heard, Nate thought. He stooped to meet the woman's gaze. Mrs. Fuentes? Miss, I'm not married, but I guess that's okay when you're only a Christomies M&E, huh? Struck by the woman's beauty, Nate thought she didn't look much older than a teen herself. Miss Fuentes, he began again. A what? A pregnant rat, she said, anger coloring her voice. Nate broke eye contact for the briefest of moments, but watched her, gauging her movements. I apologize for the officer's crudeness. There's no excuse for his behavior. I also assure you that this is not the general attitude of the police department. Nate was sincere in his response, but knew avoiding an officer complaint was a good idea as well. The woman stood abruptly. She looked again at her son lying dead in the street, took a breath, and seemed to gather herself. Can I take him now? I'm sorry, Mrs. Miss Fuentes but the body can't be released until the coroner has been called and finishes his examination. You gonna cut up my baby? You gonna cut him open and play around inside him? For what? We know what killed him. The bullets killed him. Just let me take him and put him to rest. Nate looked over the woman's shoulder at Officer Benson sitting in his patrol unit, out of the weather, and wished that it was Benson standing in the rain having to explain his bad behavior instead of Nate. Benson sat leaning back in the passenger seat, stuffing the last of something into his mouth. Miss Fuentes, I'm sorry, but certain things have to be done, and then... I don't care! You want to assure me you don't see my son as some kind of second-class citizen? You find the man who killed him, and you make him pay. She walked away, her shoulders heaving as she struggled against the sobs, shaking her entire body. Stopping a short distance away, she leaned against the wall and stood there absorbed by the shadows. 
Nate stormed over to the patrol car and pulled open the door. Benson, you're a pig. Benson looked up, a smear of mayonnaise stuck in the corner of his mouth. What? what I do? Nate looked in the direction where the woman had disappeared. You can see the mother sitting not 15 feet from you? What were you thinking? NHI, man. Why should I get all bothered over nothing? Nate clenched and then relaxed his fist. He inhaled and blew out his breath in one explosive sigh, water vapor springing from around his lips. Without speaking, he turned and walked away. Kneeling beside the body, he began his investigation while fighting to control his anger at Benson's callous behavior. Chapter 2 Lieutenant Larry Brown, the Day Shift Criminal Investigation Division, CID, watch commander, sat at his desk at the Meridian Station reviewing the reports from the night before. A cup of bitter hot coffee sat on the corner of his desk, wafts of steam floating lazily toward the two bright fluorescent lights overhead. The coffee matched him in both manner and mood. The small office faced the CID pod overlooking the rows of desks and cubicles, its fabricated walls vibrating with the opening and closing of each slammed door. Richards, get in here, he yelled. He stood up behind his desk as soon as he saw Nate enter the CID section. Yeah, what's up, LT? Nate asked, kicking the door closed behind him. He knew from long experience that nothing good would come from this meeting and didn't care to have it broadcast. Just what were you thinking out there last night? Brown began without preamble. I come in first thing this morning and find an officer complaint on my desk with your name on it. You care to explain that? Deciding not to sit down, which would surrender the high ground to the lieutenant, Nate crossed his arms and leaned back against the doorframe. Good morning to you too, sir, but I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm talking about you botching up the investigation of the Fuente shooting last night. Not to mention the hot water you're in for insulting Professor Fuentes. The dawn of recognition rose across Nate's face. He had wondered where he'd seen the woman before. She was Serena Fuentes, professor at Boise State University and board member of the Mayor's Cross-Cultural Outreach Program. Oh, he said, rubbing tired eyes. But I still don't know what this has to do with me. Do the letters NHI mean anything to you? Lieutenant Brown asked, walking around his desk and stopping within an arm's reach of Nate. I can't believe you could be that stupid. Moving forward, Nate closed the distance between them. Sir, I think you might want to change your tone, sir. Taking an involuntary step backward and bumping against the corner of his desk, Brown jumped as his coffee spilled. He tried with quick hands to stop the hot liquid's dash across his desk. Flustered, he made a poor attempt at maintaining his former rant. Richards, you, you, get your, get out of my office. He pointed a trembling finger at Nate. This is not over. I will have your butt this time. I am tired of you and your self-righteous attitude always looking down your self-righteous nose. As I recall, sir, it was you who called me into your office. Now, as for your officer complaint, I suggest you talk to the boys in your beloved patrol unit. Benson's team handled that call. Talk to them about their conduct in public. Leave me out of it. Out! Brown forced the words through clenched teeth while kissing coffee-burned fingers. 
You're the worst excuse for a homicide detective I've ever seen. If I had my way, you'd be pushing a black and white on the midnight shift. Sir, I'm not sure how to take that. I don't work homicide. I was doing you a favor in covering for Graham last night, remember? I work sex crimes. Seeing Brown's anger, Nate fought hard to resist the smile attempting to sneak across his face. He knew, though, that it was easily visible in his eyes. Nate raised his hands, palms facing forward. He inhaled, and preparing to speak, he opened his mouth. Out! Brown cut him off. Nate pulled the door open, shaking the flimsy wall as the door struck briefly against the jam. Resisting the urge to slam it behind him, he pulled it shut and let out his breath in one long, slow stream. That was good, Amber Cole said sarcastically. Oh yeah, and very Christian. Nate stopped. His smile evaporated and the smug feeling he briefly enjoyed disappeared. He rubbed his hand across his chin and smirked, feeling the fatigue he'd been ignoring. I forgot I'd left that pass for you at the front desk. I should have known you'd choose now to walk in. Ember smiled at him from across the small space between the desks that made up the central corridor of CID. Really, Nate? She smiled, and it warmed him in ways that embarrassed him. He loved looking at her. Although he typically liked long hair on women, Ember's shorter cut suited her. Rich brunette hair framed her heart-shaped face, causing her chocolate-brown eyes to play exotically against her olive complexion that danced with soft lights. But if he had to choose, he would say it was her smile and Nicole Kidman-type nose that were his favorites. The twin dimples set deep in her cheeks didn't hurt either. Hmm, he stammered. I, um, yeah, that's what I thought. How in the world are you going to be able to share the gospel with that guy if you keep antagonizing him? Really? She grinned and took his arm, locking hers through his. You forgot you promised to buy me breakfast this morning. She smiled up at him. It had not been a question. No, I just got a little sidetracked with the lieutenant. He frowned when he saw her expression. Come on, you don't like him either. I heard you in there. You're just trying to cover up the fact that you forgot our date. Either way, you're still buying. Let's go. You heard all that, huh? He asked, indicating Brown's office with a tilt of his head. I got called out again last night. Another gang shooting. I've got to get on this. He rubbed his face again, trying to erase the effect of another night with too little sleep. What time you get called out? She asked, leading him away from his desk. 0330. What time you get in? She grabbed his jacket off the back of the chair as they passed him. I just left the morgue. Haven't been home yet. Figured as much, she said, as she pulled him into the elevator. That was sneaky, he said, leaning exhausted against the far wall. It worked. Besides, you're worn out. You're no good like this. You need to go home and get some sleep. Nate stood up straight and stretched his back. Exhaling roughly, he closed his eyes and leaned back again. You know, Brown is serious, don't you? He really is going to try and slam me for this. If there's any way he can keep the blame off his beloved patrol, he will. I have no idea why the man ever accepted the promotion to CID. He hates it up here. Amber smiled as the elevator doors opened, leading to the main lobby and its yellowed tile floor. 
Grabbing Nate by his arm again, she led him out through the double glass doors marked Treasure Valley CID. She looked up at him and her eyes twinkled. First, breakfast for us and then bed for you. Many thanks to Ray Ellis for allowing us to read his story. For listeners who would like to read the rest of Nate Richards' notorious story and the other mysteries in the series, uh, those can be found online about anywhere books are sold and also can be ordered from bookstores. Now I'm going to read from Winds of Wyoming. We're into chapter 16 now. Kate settled into the saddle ready for the ride back to the ranch. Mike clicked his tongue. Take us home, Lightning. His horse trotted toward the trail. Kate's horse, Honey, followed. Home. Kate hadn't been able to call any place home for years. Hadn't wanted to call any other place home. But the whispering pines felt right, like the home sweet home she'd always longed for. She glanced around the dark forest, amazed to see the trail was still discernible, as were the aspen trees' silver trunks. Wyoming's summer skies, she'd noticed, seemed to hold a dusky glow long after the sun dropped below the horizon. Ahead of her, lightning snorted and tramped an agitated sidestep. Honey raised her head, ears pricked. Kate patted her neck. It's okay, girl. She watched Mike patiently calm his horse. Unlike so many men she'd known, he seemed to be a genuinely decent guy. The real deal, as Aunt Mary would say. Maybe nothing more would come of their evening together, but she was glad they could be friends again. Honey squealed and danced to the left. Lightning circled and pranced, the whites of his eyes obvious, even in the murky light. Tramp growled. Kate was still struggling to maneuver her horse back onto the trail when a snarling yell knifed through the night and a dark shape scurried between the horses. Honey reared. Kate grabbed her the saddle horn but only grazed it with her fingertips as she flew backward. A loud snap echoed inside her skull and darkness sucked her into a hollow galaxy streaked with daggers of stabbing light. She fought to remain conscious, but before she could part the haze that clouded her vision and understand the cacophony of sounds beating against her brain. Shadows summoned her. She heard Mike's voice calling, but she couldn't speak, couldn't move. Her body was too heavy. Kate! His hand gripped her shoulder. Talk to me! She fell down, down into the void. She could hear Tramp, the dog, alternated between whimpers and growls, close, distant, close again. Are you hurt? Mike asked. Tell me what hurts. She wanted to sleep, to rest at the bottom of the black hole. She was so tired. But Mike tapped her hand, slapped her cheeks, yanked her to the surface. His breathing sounded labor. Please answer me, Kate. She felt Tramp lick her face. Slowly, she opened an eye. Mike loomed inches from her face. Can you see me? Yes, she could only whisper. What? The horses spooked. Then Honey threw you and took off. She'll... Kate forced her other eyelid open. She'll get lost. Don't worry about Honey. She'll find her way to the ranch before we get there. 
Kate tried to lift her head, but an explosion behind her eyes forced it back down. She groaned. What was that animal noise? Cougar. But it's gone now. Tell me where you're hurting. She took a ragged breath. I, I thought it would be bigger. What would be bigger? The cougar. His paw prints are so big. Kate bit her lip at the pain that slipped through the haze. Did you see it? Mike asked. I saw something dark run across the trail, but it was small. The cat was probably chasing a smaller animal, and we got in the way. She moaned. He leaned close again. What hurts, Kate? My head, my leg. Which leg? She had to think about the source of the pain which was beginning to encompass her entire body. Left. Mike palpated the leg through her jeans. Ouch! The pain was incredible. Stop, please. He lifted his hand. Your leg is broken. Tramp nudged her neck. Mike smoothed hair from her cheek. I'll have to go for help. I could ride with you on lightning. If you have a back or neck injury, riding could paralyze you or permanently mess up your leg. She clutched his arm. I don't want you to leave me. What was she saying? She'd learned long ago not to ask any man for anything. She released her grip. I have to go, Mike said. But I'll leave Tramp here. Can't you radio for help? He exhaled an exasperated huff. She turned away. I'm sorry, I just thought. I'm not angry with you. He bent down and kissed her forehead. She blinked. What was that about? I'm mad at myself for leaving the radio at home so nobody could bother us. He shook his head. I told you you shouldn't trust me. Oh, Mike. She reached up to stroke his cheek. Even in the gloom, she could sense the depth of his chagrin. I am touched beyond words that you wanted to have an evening alone with me. He wrapped his hand around hers. A sharp pain stabbed through her leg. Kate gasped and jerked. He released her hand. I have ibuprofen in the saddlebag. We'll load you up and trust it'll make the pain bearable until I can get help. When he walked away, the night, which had seemed to glow earlier, pressed down so hard Kate wondered if she'd sink back into the abyss. He returned with full arms and a glowing flashlight. I'll help you swallow some pills and leave the rest with you, along with the water flask and the flashlight. I also brought blankets and a revolver. She moved her head back and forth. No more stars behind her eyelids, but a headache mushroom between her temples. I can move my neck. I think it's okay. He tapped pills into her hand. I hope so, but we better not take any chances. He handed her the canteen. See if you can drink without raising your head. She swallowed the pills. He took the canteen and covered her with the blankets. What's with the gun? Kate asked. Wildlife. Tramp will chase off anything that wanders by. The gun is just added insurance. He moved the flashlight and revolver where she could reach them. You know how to shoot a gun? She hated to admit guns and violence were a part of her past. But she didn't want him to worry, so she answered, Yes. Good. It's loaded. Don't hesitate to use it, if you need it. Thanks. I'll be fine. I hate to leave you, but it's getting late. 
I'll bring help as fast as I can. I know you will, Kate said. I trust you, Mike. You're a trooper. He pressed his lips against her forehead one more time. She touched his jaw again, reveling in the smoky smell of his shirt, in the feel of his lips on her skin, and her fingers on his cheek. Better go. His voice was husky. He mounted lightning and rode several yards up the trail, a tramp running alongside the horse. Mike stopped to interlace aspen saplings across a path and hang a canvas bag from the juncture. This will be our marker, he called, so we don't trample you in the dark. She could barely see him, but she could tell he motioned to his dog. Stay, tramp. Take care of Kate. And then he was gone. Tramp trotted to her side. Like a stalwart soldier, he stood at attention, uttering soft, sad moans as he watched the dusk devour his master. Kate felt her tears slide into her hair. In a matter of days, she was sprawled across another trail. At least she was on her back this time, not her belly. She blotted her face and hair with a blanket. Last time, Mike had found her. This time, he left her. But he'd promised to return. Already, she longed for his touch. She expected the forest to be deathly silent after lightning's hoofbeats faded away. But birds continued to call. A stream splashed over rocks not too far away, and she could hear an owl hooting in the distance. Although she couldn't identify other rustlings and chiseling noises, none of them sounded dangerous. Then she remembered she lay at snake level, in snake territory. What sounds did snakes make? She could tolerate a squirrel hopping on her chest. Well, Maybe, but the thought of the slimy snake in her bathroom sink slithering across her face was more than she could bear. What if it wrapped itself around her neck? Or a mouse burrowed in her hair, or a tarantula. Did tarantulas live in Wyoming? Or black widow spiders? She scratched her scalp with both hands, released the breath she'd been holding, and shut down her imagination. With God watching out for her and tramps snuggled next to her, she could hang on until help arrived. That is if the pills ever kicked in. She clutched the blanket. Maybe she could forget about her leg and her proximity to reptiles by thinking about Mike, his tender touch, his gentle eyes, his stubbled cheek. She smiled. And his lips on her forehead. She stopped. But he would never have kissed her if he knew who she was, how different she was from him. Though her parents had taken her to Sunday school when she was young, only a couple short-term foster families had been church attenders, unlike his family. She hadn't learned many religious songs. He'd been raised on church music and could play the songs on his guitar. She had a terrible reputation. His was sterling. Even if he was responsible for his brother's death, which probably wasn't the case, it was an accident. The crime she'd committed, she'd committed on purpose. If their relationship grew serious, she'd have to tell him the truth. But she couldn't let it go that far. She tucked her arms under the blankets. He needed a pure bride, a woman like his mom, to be the mother of his children. A long-term relationship was hopeless. But she could dream tonight and maybe forget the pain in the cold, hard ground that seemed to grow colder and harder by the second. Tramp yipped and leaped to his feet, jostling her body. 
A searing spasm shot up her leg. Kate cried out but managed to grab the flashlight and the gun and sit up. Switching on the light, she aimed the shaky beam at the bushes on the other side of the trail. Two green-gold spheres glowed from the foliage. Her breath caught in her chest. Was it the mountain lion? The dog growled. The creature snarled. Tramp stepped closer. Kate whispered, Stay, Tramp. Whatever it was might maim or kill him. Then she'd be left to fend for herself. Tramp hesitated. Stay, her voice quavered. Unblinking, the golden orbs continued to smolder in the light. The creature snarled again. Kate gasped and raised the revolver, drawing the hammer back with her thumb. She wrapped her finger around the trigger. Tramp growled and charged at the bushes. The eyes disappeared. She swung the light in every direction, searching as far as the beam could reach, including the treetops. All the while, she called the dog's name. Finally, Tramp returned to her side, but he sniffed the air for a long time, his throat reverberating with a low growl. She hugged him, not knowing if she shivered more from cold or fright. What do you think, Tramp? Is it gone? The big dog whined and licked her cheek, then sat erect. Eyes wide, ears pricked, nostrils flaring. His head never stopped moving. Though the forest seemed to settle for the night, he remained on duty. Assured that the mystery animal had lost interest and Tramp intended to stand guard until Mike returned, Kate raised the blankets to her shoulders and lay down. She shook and ached all over, but the pain was tolerable, and thank God her neck and back were okay. She'd been able to sit up. Despite the throbbing and the fear and the chill that seeped into her body, she slept. The ache in her leg edged again and again into her conscience, but each time she awakened, Tramp laid his head on her chest and she fell back to sleep. Kate dreamed she and Amy and row upon row of other female inmates stood trembling under the glare of immense white lights and endless coils of razor wire. Layers of frost fell from a bitter sky, encrusting the orange-clad inmates until they resembled Ice Age leftovers. All around her, captive women broke free from the translucent straitjackets. Their chilly restraints crackled and popped and pierced the raw night with spear-like slivers of flying light. But Kate, frozen as solid as a slab of marble, couldn't even open her mouth. She groaned in despair when the single teardrop that escaped her eyelid solidified into a stone mole beside her nose, for she knew she would never be warm or free again. A roar ripped Kate from the dream. She jerked to a sitting position. Tramp barked and shot toward the sound. The black forest echoed with guttural growls and the squawks of startled birds. Wrapping her cold fingers around the flashlight, she flipped it on, but saw nothing but thrashing branches. Though fur flashed across the beam, she couldn't tell if it was a dog or the other animal. She fumbled for the pistol with a free hand and found it, but she couldn't hold the gun steady. Help me, God. I have to save Tramp. Shoot high, came the reply. Balanced on her elbow, she pressed the trigger, but her arm wavered and the gun fired low. Almost the instant the pistol discharged, she heard a frantic yelp and the sound of scrabbling in the bushes. Then silence. Dead silence. Kate waited, her heart racing, but Tramp did not return. She called and called. Tramp, come here, Tramp. Though she managed a weak whistle, the dark woods offered no response. Not even chirps or squeaks. Tears streaming down her face, she panned the area with the light. Was the beast coming after her next? 
The beam weakened. She turned off the flashlight, dropped it in the gun on the ground, drew the blankets up, and lay back. Even colder than before, she shivered so hard it hurt. God! Her teeth chattered. I've never in my life been this scared. Fear was nothing new to her, but the source had always been people. Not wild animals. I will never leave you or forsake you. She hugged her quaking ribs. Is it true? Are you really here with me right now? Look up. She lifted her gaze above the treetops from the midst of the cluster of a cluster of brilliant shimmering stars. A solitary luminary, one that shone brighter than the others, glided near the earth, changing colors. The final color violet erupted in a glittering shower of lavender that floated onto her face the touch of the tiny petals as soft as a kitten's paw. A fragrant aroma blanketed the forest floor. The smell enveloped her, calmed her, warmed her. She fell into a deep, dreamless sleep. Here are a couple of random things to make you smile. This is a poem, very short poem, by Eugene Shea. Tree Hugger's Risk. He was a tree hugger deluxe, and his blood ran sap of his trees until he hugged the wrong trunk and died of Dutch elm disease. <laughs> We've had so much snow around here. Makes me think of this one here by this quotation by Dave Barry. Skiing combines outdoor fun with knocking down trees with your face. <laughs> As promised, here are a couple pages from uh, the prequel to the Kate Nielsen series titled Winds of Hope. The prison gate clangs shut behind Kate Nielsen. The sound is loud and harsh in her ears as coupling train cars. She'd heard that clatter of metal against metal hundreds of times during her five years of incarceration. Yet, with each slam, her stomach lurched and her shoulders jerked. Try as she might to steel herself against the jarring crash, she couldn't help but react like a startled bird. For the first time... Kate stood on the visitor side of the barred gate that separated the reception area from the wide, fluorescent-lit hallway leading to the cell blocks. She still had to walk out the front door of the building and through the fence that surrounded Patterson State Penitentiary, but she'd crossed the final interior barrier. The female correctional officer who escorted her, Officer Arledge, paused and spoke into the radio clipped to her gray shirt notifying the control desk of their location. Kate clutched the plastic sack that held the meager possessions she'd accumulated during her time at Patterson and took a steadying breath. The room smelled vaguely familiar. Floor wax, that's what it was. The smooth surface at her feet was so highly polished it reflected the ceiling lights. On the other side of the bars, the gray concrete floors were mopped by inmates but never waxed. She could have turned for one last glimpse through the gate. After all, 
She could have turned for one last glimpse through the gate. After all, the building housed the culture that had transformed her from a lost and lonely Pittsburgh street tramp into a college graduate with a marketing degree. Instead, she focused on the double glass doors at the other end of the room, doors that led to freedom and to her future. Unlike the muted light that filtered through the glass blocks embedded in her cell wall, sunshine streamed through the doors, illuminating a column of dust motes. But as much as she itched to dart across the room and charge outside, she had one more hurdle to clear. Between her and the rest of her life stood a reception desk staffed by two male COs seated before computer monitors. She had a side view of the men. Like the female officer, they were wearing light gray shirts, dark gray pants, and black duty belts. Loops and pouches attached to the belts held flashlights, pepper spray, eye protection, handcuffs, handcuff keys, and more. But no guns. Kate couldn't see their feet, but she'd never seen CEOs wear anything but black boots identical to what the officer beside her wore. Ardleach motioned her toward the desk. The last phase of your checkout is here. Earlier that morning, just before she left her unit, another female guard had strip-searched her. Kate had endured the humiliating contraband hunt on more occasions than she cared to remember and hoped to never again hear. Strip, Nielsen. But right now, she would comply with everything the CEOs asked of her, whatever it took to walk out of those doors today. We want to give a shout out to Steve, Bill, and Val for faithfully listening and for giving us feedback, which you could also do. And that's going to do it for now. As always, thanks for listening. And until next time, happy reading. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckyliles.com. Steve and Becky like to hear your thoughts, and they encourage authors to send stories and other short prose and poetry for them to read on the podcast. You can learn more about Becky's books by visiting beckyliles.com or by searching for her books online. Her nonfiction titles can be found under the name Becky Lyles and her fiction under Rebecca Carrie Lyles. All of her books are available in both print and ebook formats. Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom are also offered in audio format online. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.